So from the early service when they reported, uh, my favorite activity, even I didn't get to go, uh, was when they got to shoot each other with bows and arrows. Now, see, if, if I could choose who gets shot, that'd be like an awesome game to play, I think. So. so I need to tell you that Starbucks killed my prayer life. Um, you, you, you know Starbucks, right? Or as we call it in our family, four bucks. Um, when you walk into Starbucks, their baristas are trained to say this to you. What can I get started for you today? Which plays into that whole part of us in 21st century American life, which kind of settles into what we would call uh, a consumer orientation that's focused on customer satisfaction. So Starbucks has figured that out. How else could they get people to pay four bucks for a cup of coffee if they didn't have something that appealed to people? So when you walk in, they say, what can I get started for you today? And then they add another element to that. This is the element that says, if we don't get it right, then you just keep bringing it back until we do. Now, whatever else you want to call it and whatever you think of Starbucks, let me tell you something, that is great customer service. But I'm afraid that that level of thinking that has captured who we are as a 21st century American people has crept into our spiritual lives and our prayer lives. Let me put that a different way. What are you asking God for today? What are you praying for today? And the chances are good that somewhere in the mix of your prayer life is a bent towards consumer orientation. What can I get from God? Maybe we say it different ways. We have intercessory prayer lists and we have our prayer requests and all of those kind of things. But ultimately, it boils down to this basic truth. We all have that orientation in everyday life where we expect to be treated right as a customer. And then we go into our prayer lives and expect God to satisfy our desires. Which pushes me to Luke chapter 11. Now, in Luke chapter 11, and I recognize the time, okay, according to what I can see back there, it's 11.05, so i got 55 minutes. I'm going to give you a devotional thought today. It's not the full-blown sermon. If you want to know more about this passage, we'll look at it again on Wednesday night uh, over in the, one of the portable buildings over here. But I want to pull it down as best I can in just a handful of minutes for you to underscore what I'm saying here. Jesus is uh, on that traveling thing, moving from uh, Galilee in the north down to Judea where he will ultimately be crucified. This is the travel discourse in Luke's gospel. Starts in chapter 9 and goes through chapter 19. And in this now we pick it up in the first few verses of chapter 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished one of his disciples said to him, Lord teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. That's a whole other sermon hidden away in that verse. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, and now he gives us a condensed version of the model prayer that is found over in Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's pulled down. Here's what I want you to get from this. He starts off by telling us to be neely, K-N-E-E-L-Y. 
In other words, let God be God. Kneel, worship before him, let him be God. And then after we've done that, it sets us up to be needy. And he addresses several different levels of our need, the physical need, the spiritual need, the relational need, and ultimately our need for holiness. And so Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. That's needly. Verse 3, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So Jesus begins by answering their request as unfounded as their request might have been. Jesus answers them in such a way that they get a formula and they could walk away and go, all right, now I've got that, got that formula. I got this prayer thing down now. But Jesus is never content to leave us where we think we've arrived. And so he tells a parable. And this parable is difficult. It is a tricky bit of theology here. It's so tricky that we find a particular word in the midst of this that throws people off. And we look at various translations and we find different ways that they try to capture this word, and the reason they can't, our interpreters can't really capture the word is because it's only used here in the entire New Testament. In the Old Testament, in Greek, which is called the Septuagint, it's not used at all there either. So there's no point of reference for biblical people to look at and go, okay, well, it's used over there that way. The only point of reference is actually outside of biblical Greek. And there, it's not quite as fuzzy as we want to make it. Here's my point. Before I even read the parable, here's what I want you to get because I'm really limited on time here. We take this parable that I'm about to read and we twist it and usually we try to make it say something that is exactly opposite of what Jesus is teaching. Because what we tend to do with prayer and what we have seen people do with this particular passage is miss the slant that Jesus gives. If you've not been part of these services through the course of the summer, uh, I've been preaching through the parables of Jesus. And I've been highlighting the fact that in many of these parables, Jesus comes and he hits us with the truth, but he doesn't hit us right between the eyes with it because we can't handle that. So as Emily Dickinson said in one of her poems, tell it slant. Tell it, tell it in a way that I can take it and eventually get it. So Jesus goes slant in these parables and in this one it's all tied to a particular word and I'll stop in this reading when I get to that word but we tend to make this a parable about just badgering God to death in order to get what we want. You know I've seen that happen in another context. You ever been to Toys R Us? You know that kid who goes to Toys R Us? You know the one I'm talking about? The one who throws a fit because he doesn't get what he wants? I was in Toys R Us a week or so ago. Teresa informed me that we needed to go because some grandkid needed a toy or something. Uh, and so we're in there, and um, I, I listened to this conversation. I'm looking through the store. She's looking for, you know, and I'm looking, and we're on separate paths. And I hear on the other aisle across from me, or uh, over from me, I hear this discussion between a father and a child. The child must have been four or five years old, something like that, based on the way he was talking. And the child said, can I have this, Daddy? And the dad said, no. Immediately, the child said, well, how about this? And the dad says, no. 
And then immediately, well, how about this, Daddy? Can I have this? No. And I wanted to go around to the corner and say to that dude, you keep it up, dude. You're training a good citizen right there. Because I know how it is with a dad. You get tired of saying no. No, dads never get tired of saying no. But that contrast, that picture there, that contrast with another Toys R Us experience I had years ago down in the Rio Grande Valley where I heard the same conversation except it was not even close to the same. Because what I heard from the other side of the store was a little kid just start going off. Screaming, crying, yelling. I mean, it was one of those things where I was going, man, what in the, I got to see this. So I went to the other, actually, I went over there to, uh, let's see, how would you say this, to teach the full truth of God's word to that child is what I was thinking I might do. And I get over there, and here's this little girl laying in the aisle, kicking, screaming, and the mom, I guess it was the mom, can't imagine anybody else staying close to that. <laughs> Kept saying, you can't have that. And the kid was going off. And I thought then, and I think now, that is so much like 21st century American Christian prayer. I just got to have it. And so we go to God and we badger him until we get what we want. Many people take this parable and believe that's what it's teaching. But that's exactly opposite of what Jesus intends. Verse 5, and he said to them, remember, he's just given them their requested formula for prayer. Jesus is not intent to leave them there, and he says to them, verse 5, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Let me stop there for a second and just highlight a couple of things for you. First of all, Jesus pulls right out of everyday life another teaching point. You know one of the things about first century Jewish Christianity was that hospitality was equated with their spiritual maturity. I mean, it was just expected. They didn't have La Quintas and Holiday Inn Express and those kind of things in their time. They had some inns here and there, but the people who ran them typically were unscrupulous kind of people. And so they weren't really very well trusted. They certainly didn't have Burger Kings and Whataburgers and those things on every corner. And so when people traveled, they depended upon the goodwill of their fellow people. Jesus pulls right out of their everyday life this story. And in that we find, well, did you notice that this is a question? See, this is the part that I think we often get wrong. Because Jesus very clearly fashions this as a question. Verse 5, which of you who has a friend, will go to him at midnight. In other words, you're the person who needs something. Who of you has that kind of friend and might be in that kind of situation? The answer to that, all of them would have had to say, well, all of us, each of us could be that person. It's right out of everyday life. Of course, they could see themselves being on a trip and having, or, or somebody coming to their home and needing to go to a friend in the middle of the night to get some kind of food for the hospitality's sake. 
But verse 7 is where the slant comes. Because their answer to that is, which of you would be the one or could even imagine being the one who would answer to that friend, don't bother me, the door's shut, my children are with me in bed, I can't get up and get anything. In other words, you're on your own, bucko. And all of them would have said, no, none of us would be that person. When you find Jesus pulling a slant move like that, you better look for truth. What is the truth? This unthinkable response to a needy neighbor. Verse 8 is the key verse for us. Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Let me just stop for a second. You notice? Go back to your grammar. A lot of he's and him's in there. Who's he referring to on which one? Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Anybody use the word impudence in a, in a sentence this week? This is one of those words that we go, huh? Actually, we don't even bother to go, huh? We just kind of keep reading through it. But it is the key word in interpreting this parable correctly. King James Version uses the word importunity because of his importunity. Okay, so how many of you used importunity in a sentence this week? So the New American Standard makes an interpretive leap into the dark, I think, when they say persistence because of his persistence. And see, now we're back to where I started. I would just badger God to death until we get what we want. The NIV tries a better shot at it, and they say because of the man's Boldness. I looked up impudence in the dictionary, one of those online dictionaries. Listen to the range of possible meanings. Boldness, sassiness, nerve, audacity, rudeness, disrespect. Probably based on outside the Bible Greek usage of this term, the best way for us to take this is shamelessness. Because of his shamelessness. In other words, it is that attitude, that posturing in life where you do what you're going to do regardless of what impact it has on other people and totally without acknowledging that there may be a cultural problem with what you're doing. Now we're back to the kid laying in the aisle who only wants what she wants and is willing to throw a fit even though that's not socially acceptable in any culture, or it shouldn't be anyway. So we don't always get this right because we think that maybe by just badgering God, that's the persistent idea that the NASB pulls, just by badgering God we get what we want, but that's not what Jesus is teaching. This is used almost exclusively when that word is used in the outside Greek stuff. It's always in a negative connotation. Jesus is not holding up this badgerer as the example. This is a parable about the person who has the supply. Jesus' intent 
Well, let's look at verses 9 through 13 because this helps us to get it. Here's what he wants us to get, I think. We ask and we can be sure because of the character of the supplier that our request is heard. You don't have to badger God. He hears you. So listen to verses 9 through 13. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. In other words, Jesus is saying, take your request to God and be confident in his character that he hears you. Verse 11, what father amongst you? This is a lesser to greater argument. A fortiori for those of you scholars out there. It's the lesser. I'm going to give you this example on a human level. And if it's true on a human level, how much more true would it be on the divine level? So verse 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So here's the question for you. What are you asking God for? Are you banking on the character of God to hear that or on your relentless pursuit of getting what you want? He says, pray, absolutely. He says, ask, no question. But the point is that we do so resting in the knowledge that God hears us and he responds from a foundation of love for you. So as I close, let me go back to the whole Starbucks thing. What I said was Starbucks killed my prayer life. So let me turn that a little bit and show you why that's a positive statement. My oldest son, now Colin is with us today, uh, but our oldest son, Brandon, was a barista at, you know what barista means? Grossly underpaid servant. Um, Brandon was a barista at Starbucks for a long time. Um, And he became a connoisseur of coffee. Rose to the rank. Starbucks makes their people learn coffee and, you know, be able to identify which blend by tasting it and all that kind of stuff. And so Brandon became one of the two coffee experts in our family. Colin also worked at a coffee shop, but just not that one. And uh, so I, I got to where I would go to where Brandon was working at this Starbucks, a.k.a. Four Bucks, But because Brandon worked there and he seemed to like me enough and his boss did like me enough that I started getting coffee for free. So Starbucks became no bucks, which made it a regular stop on my morning journey. But here's the deal. It so fits this prayer thing. I got to where I would go in to Brandon. Now, I know Brandon. Brandon knows me. I trust Brandon. Well... Uh, and so I would go in and here's the question I would ask him what do I want today I see I trusted Brandon's awareness of coffee and I trusted Brandon's awareness of me 
to just put my whole coffee experience at his disposal for that day. And he, he would serve up incredible cups of coffee. I'd have paid four bucks for those. They were good. Some of them I still prefer, and they're not on the menu. So what I really mean when I say Starbucks killed my prayer life, I mean Starbucks killed my old selfish approach to prayer. Because the very best prayer you can pray is to go to God and say, what do I want today? Let's pray. Father, we recognize that so often what we want is a cheap substitute of what you want to give. And we want stuff. And you promise relationship. And we want relief. And you promise growth. We want our way. I'm grateful for your mercy and your grace to us. So we pray that you would teach us to be a praying people. Not with that garbage of religiosity that calls a prayer warrior somebody who knows how to ask for 40 minutes at a time. Rather, make us to be those people who trust in your character to go and simply place our requests before you. And those requests be guided by submission to who you are not to ask you to submit to our desires. Grow us. That's our prayer today. In Jesus' name.